Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Can we give Jesus one more big hand clap? He is worthy of all the praise. And before I get started, can we also give it up for our praise and worship team for leading us into the presence of God? They, they did it. They did it to me again. I was over there boohoo crying with this headset on. I thought I was going to electrocute myself. That's good worship right there when you almost electrocute yourself. But as he said, my name is BJ. I am so honored to be standing here before you guys. And a little bit about me for anybody who doesn't know me. I had a birthday last month. I'm thankful to see another year. I am now years old. No, I'm 50. I'm 50, and I'm glad about it. And anybody that knows me knows that I do not like attention. I like to be as least noticed as possible. So I think it's part of God's sense of humor that he has me standing up here. But turning 50, I understand that that's special. And so I allowed my wife, Tequila, to go ahead and plan some stuff for, for that day. And even leading up to that day, she planned some things. And I must admit, I had a lot of anticipation about it. I was thinking about it uh, pretty much every day for months. And she did not disappoint. You know, I had an absolutely amazing time. But let me tell you all something. As excited as I was for my birthday, I am more excited about today. And it has absolutely nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me having a microphone. God has a word for all of us today that is going to bless our lives and be a blessing to other lives as well. Amen. The title of the message today is U-Turn. Y-O-U turn. And the reason why it's called that is because this message is not for your neighbor. This message is not for the person you wish would have came to church with you today. This message is not just for me. And I know that this message is for me. I know that what we're going to talk about today, I need this active in my life every day. But it's not just for me. This message is for each and every individual in this room, no matter how old you are, no matter where you've been, where you are, where you're going, God wants us to take this word personally. So let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to start over in 2 Corinthians. If you can turn there, 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read this uh, verse out of the King James Version, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. And here the Apostle Paul is giving some final words to the church in Corinth. And he says, this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And as I started preparing for this message, I noticed that there were different people throughout the Bible that were at, at particular times in their ministry. They were emphasizing a particular word. And one of those people is a prophet in the Old Testament named Ezekiel. Now, for those of you that don't know Ezekiel, I have much respect for Ezekiel. Ezekiel was one of those people that God wanted to use his physical body and his life to illustrate a message to the people. So God would have Ezekiel do things like shave your head and shave your beard and take your hair, take a portion of your hair and cut it with a sword. And that was going to represent that a portion of the people were going to die by the sword. And then take a portion of your hair and put it in your pocket. And that was going to represent that a portion of the people were going to be protected. There was a certain diet that Ezekiel had to follow. And I'm not going to get into that because it would gross a lot of you out. 
But Ezekiel was very obedient to doing exactly what God wanted him to do and say exactly what God wanted him to say. And then I noticed something in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6. It says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away from your faces from all your abominations. Then again, in chapter 18, verse 30, it says, therefore, I will judge you. O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God, repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that the people didn't know what to do. So Peter tells them what to do. In Acts 2.38, it says, and Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, remember, in the mouth of two or three witnesses is a word established, and we see over and over again different people throughout the Bible, including Jesus himself, say this word, repent. Can somebody say, repent? Pastor Rocky did a series called The Blueprint of Worship a while back, and he compared a lifestyle of worship to a building being built. And one thing we need to understand about when it comes to the successful construction of a building is that in order for that to take place, you must have site preparation. If you don't have site prep, the building is going to be flawed. Now, somebody may be like, what's site prep? Site prep is basically where anything on the property you're about to build on is cleared out and removed to make the property free of obstructions. And that's what repentance does. It clears out, it helps clear out the sin in our lives so that there are no obstructions keeping us from entering into the fullness of the presence of God. And so since we see that throughout Scripture that this word is an important subject, let's see what repentance really means. If you can, turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14, starting at verse 40 going back to the English Standard Version. And here the Israelites, they rebelled against God again. If you look earlier in the chapter, it talks about that. And now it's to the point that the Lord is ready to punish them. In verse 40, it says, And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. So there was a point where the people, they had turned towards God. But in what we just read, Moses said that since they had turned towards God, they have since then, they have turned from following God. They had turned back, and they ended up back where they started. So internally, they did a 360-degree turn, where they started in one position, and they made a turn, but they ended up right back in the same position. And that is not repentance, because repentance is not a 360. What do I mean by 360? Raise your hand if you've ever said something like this. Lord, if you get me out of this, 
Somebody raising their hand already. I didn't even finish what I was going to say. If you get me out of this, you can go ahead and finish it. I'll never do it again. Raise your hand if you ever said something like that. Some of y'all lying in church. Okay, put your hand down. Now, how many of you that raised your hand, you ended up going back to that same thing again? I have my hand raised as well. That is not repentance. Repentance is a 180. It is not a 360. That is a 360 where you start in the direction that you want to go, and ultimately that's the direction that the enemy wants you to go, and then you make a U-turn, you make a turn to where now you are going towards where God wants you to go. That is repentance. That is a 180-degree turn. And we need to understand that there is real repentance and wrong repentance. When I was a kid, I was a decent artist. Drawing was my thing. And I would get recognition for it in school. And one of the highlights when I was a kid and I would stay with my grandmother is she would, when she, come from, when she would come from the store, she would bring me this pad of blank paper. And I would make comic books out of them. I would just draw all day and make comic books out of this uh, paper that she got me. And it was something that, you know, my mom was an excellent artist, so I got it from her. And it seems to have passed on to my daughter because my daughter Zoe, she likes to draw and she's good at drawing as well. But in middle school, when I got my report card one semester, before I brought it home to my parents, I saw in my report card that I had gotten an F in one of my classes. And so I had the idea that before I show the report card to my parents, I'm going to use my artistic ability and turn the F into a B. Now, this is a computer printout. I have an ink pen, but I feel so confident in my artistic skills. I feel like I can do this because you just make a little loop at the top of the F and then you make a bigger loop at the bottom of the F. Needless to say, it didn't work, didn't fool anybody. I, still, I got in trouble for it and all that. Go a little bit further a few years later in high school. And I don't know why I still have this. I have a report card from when I was in high school, 137 years ago. I have no idea why I still have, and I think it's for such a time as this. I think God knew that I was gonna be teaching one day and use this as an example. So if you can, pull up this picture. This is a picture of one of my report cards when I was in high school. So if you see near the bottom of the grades where that C is and above those, you see those handwritten A's on there. <laughs> so I think I told my teacher that the teacher didn't get the information turned in in time for them to print the, my A's on the report cards, so the teacher just wrote those A's on there. I was lying like Mufasa. I wrote that. The teacher didn't do that. But then you see above that where there's a B marked out, so I'm trying to help my GPA by putting all these A's on there because it was really low. So I learned my lesson. I wasn't trying to make the, the grades look like the printout anymore. So, I had, so there's a B marked out with an A in those initials. So I forged my teacher's signature. So in middle school, I tried to deceive my parents, but obviously, and, and you know, I was sorry that I, did, I, that I tried to do that. The issue is, is that the only reason I was sorry about it was because it didn't work. And I got in trouble for it. It didn't change anything in my heart because in high school, I tried it again. 
And that is the difference between wrong repentance and real repentance. Real repentance is where you're sorry you even did it in the first place. Real repentance is where you're sorry that you disappointed your heavenly father. Real repentance is where you're sorry that you committed the sin in the first place. Wrong repentance is where you're just sorry you got caught. And so that was the difference. And God, God, you all, wants us to get to the place of humility. Why? Because humility leads to repentance. And I found out in my life that there's two ways you can get to that place of humility. You can do what the Bible says over and over again, Old Testament through New Testament, and you can humble yourself. Or the alternative is like my hard head had to learn, and God will have to make you humble. But God wants us to get to the place of humility because it leads to repentance. Think about it. Those of us that drive, if you're driving somewhere and you come to the revelation that you're going the wrong way and you admit to yourself or whoever else is in the car, I'm going the wrong way. Then you humble yourself to the fact that you have made a mistake and that humility causes you to make a U-turn. Humility, humility leads to repentance. And there's scripture to actually confirm that. I want everybody, if you can, to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles 7. And we're going to look at a scripture that not only shows how humility comes before repentance, but it also shows what real repentance looks like. And it's a verse that has been used a lot by many believers, by many churches, particularly in America, and more particularly in the last year or so. And let's see if we can get a little more understanding of what the scripture is saying. This is God speaking here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. My wife, Tequila, she's one of those people that definitely believes in the philosophy that if you're on time, you're late. And if you're early, you're on time. How many of y'all are like that? Okay, you're not liked by a lot of people. But. <laughs> so she's early for everything. She's early for everything. If we're, if, if we're supposed to have lunch with you or, or we're going to your house uh, for, for dinner or something like that and say we need to be there at 5 o'clock, you know, Tequila likes to roll up. She's rolling up at like 4.45. Now me, I'm going to be ringing your doorbell at like 4.59. And 59 seconds. <laughs> and so the longer that we've been married, the more that we've just built kind of certain habits with each other. There's certain things that, you know, we've learned about each other. And it's nothing that we ever had a meeting about and say, hey, I like to flow like this. I like to do this. You know, as far as uh, certain uh, ways that we go about our day and how we do things. And so if we're ever going somewhere, it's gotten to the point where she does a thing that, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, she's ready before I am, you know. And so when it's time to go, when she feels like it's time to go, what she will do is she will go out to the garage and open the garage door and sit in the car and wait for me. And when I hear the garage door, it signals to me that I need to start wrapping it up. <laughs> it's like, okay, it must be time. It must be really time to go. 
So one day we're getting ready to go somewhere. And around the time that, like I said, we've been, we've been married for 22 years. So I know about the time when she's ready to go, when she's doing this thing. So around the time when it's uh, time for her to do that, I don't hear the garage door. A few minutes go by, I still don't hear the garage door. So I'm thinking to myself, she's not ready yet. And so I continue getting ready. What I didn't know was that she was sitting downstairs waiting for me so that we could walk out to the car together. So it was literally a situation where I was waiting on her, but she was waiting on me. And I think that's what the church has misunderstood when it comes to this scripture, because a lot of times we think that we're waiting on God to do something, but God is actually waiting on us. Could it be that we're waiting on God to revive us as a, as a nation? We're waiting on God to heal our land. We're waiting on God for revival, but God is waiting on us to repent. Because it says that in the scripture. It says, if my people who were called by my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways. Listen, you all, you won't have to, God is saying, you won't have to beg me anymore. You won't have to keep begging and asking me to revive your land. I'm ready to revive you if you repent. I was thinking when I was looking at the scripture and I started, you know, I was getting into prayer and I started thinking about our country. I started thinking about America. And I was thinking about how there was a time where all the nations, all the other countries of the world, they looked at America as like a beacon of light as far as being a Christian country. America was the one that was known to send missionaries to the to uttermost parts of the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news of Jesus to people and lay hands on the sick and they recover and to minister to people's needs and to feed the hungry in the name of Jesus and do all those things. America was known for that. And now our country, the spiritual condition of our country has gotten to the point where now other countries send missionaries here. And I believe that God told me, he said that, you know, when we're talking about revival, I believe that God told me, he said that revive, before, before there's revival, there must be repentance. And when he said that, I was like, immediately, I was like, yes, sir, you're right. There's so many people that don't believe in Jesus, and they don't even want to believe in Jesus. They don't even want him. And you have so many people that don't believe in Jesus, and they can be so prideful and obnoxious, and they hold their opinion at the same level as the Word of God, or even higher than the Word of God. And the Lord corrected me. He said, BJ, you're way off. You're way off. He said that repentance needs to start in the church. Because that's what the scripture said. Notice the scripture doesn't say, if the people who don't know me will call on my name and humble themselves and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways of prayer. God says, if my people will do that. So that is a word not so much for the people that don't believe, that's for those of us that do. That revival comes through repentance. Repentance leads to revival. And that's not just for our country or any other country. But revival can lead, repentance can lead to revival even in your own individual personal lives as well. I went through a situation 
a few years ago where I worked a job, I mean, if there was ever a time where a person can feel like they were called to a certain occupation, I felt like I was called to do what I was doing a few years ago. There was a, a job I had. I mean, I felt so fulfilled. I felt like, God, this is where you want me. I was willing to work there the rest of my natural life. I mean, to the day, I mean, past retirement age. If I could just work there until I went to be with the Lord, I was willing to do that until, her, until Hurricane Irma came along. And when Hurricane Irma came along, it did so much damage to the facilities. They had to shut the organization down, and they laid off myself and about 125 other employees. And so for the next seven months, I was out of work or I wasn't necessarily out of work. I didn't have a full-time career. I was working uh, as a substitute teacher and a construction worker. And I still wasn't able to help make ends meet. And our house actually started going into foreclosure, the process that started for our house to get foreclosed on. And so one day I was in a classroom, and uh, in my classroom, and I think it was at lunchtime, there were no students in there, and I went into the supply closet of the classroom and I started crying out to God. I mean, literally boo-hoo crying. And I was like, God, this is hard. And I was, I was angry with God, and I told him that. I felt like, God, I felt like you took the job that I, that I felt called to. I feel like you took that away from me. And now we can be homeless. And I told him. I was very honest with God. I said, God, and I'm not sure I should even have faith in you anymore. And there's something about when you're real with God, then God can be real with you. It's something about when you open up your heart and you get past the facade and, and you get past just trying to say what you think God wants you to say and you just want to say what, God, what you think God wants to hear. And once you become truthful with God, then God can start to minister to you. Something changed in my heart that day. And I know that it happened that day because not too long after that, there was a birthday for an individual who had hurt me pretty bad. And in times past, when that person's birthday came around, I would send them a text and I would tell them, happy birthday, even though I didn't mean it. I wanted them to have the worst birthday they ever had in their life. <laughs> but I felt like it was the Christian thing to do, to send them a text. But during this time, when that person's birthday came around, I texted them happy birthday. And I genuinely meant it. I sincerely wanted them to have the best birthday they had ever had. Something that changed on the inside of me. And the same day, the exact same day that I sent that text, I got a job offer for the place that I've been working at for the last three years. And we experienced financial increase to where our house went out of foreclosure. And God told me something. He said, BJ, I had that blessing waiting for you. I had that blessing waiting for you the whole time. But because you had unforgiveness in your heart, it was blocking the blessing from being able to get to you. But once you turned, once you made a U-turn from that unforgiveness and you turned towards my forgiveness and my love and my mercy, then I was able to get that blessing to you. Amen. But it happened after I repented. Can someone say repent? 
and it caused a revival. It caused a revival in my wife and I's finances, and more importantly, it caused a revival in my faith to not give up on God no matter what the situation looks like. It caused personal revival as well. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. One of the words used to define that word refreshing literally is the word revival. And he said times, plural, of refreshing. So that revival, if you will, that comes from repentance is not a one-time thing. And I've needed that revival, that refreshing, numerous times since I started living for the Lord. I describe my relationship with God like this, that I accepted Jesus as my Savior long before I accepted him as my Lord. I wanted Jesus to save me from going to hell. I wanted fire insurance. I trusted him with my future, but I didn't trust him with my present, with my life and my present. And so for the next year, I just went through a bunch of mess. I mean, as far as just stinking, thinking and just, you know, bondage and, and sin that was still so active in my life. I just went through a bunch of, I was about to say crap, but I'm not going to say crap in church. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't say crap. But that's what it was like. I just went through just a bunch of mess. And there's three things that I learned about repentance that helped to set me free. And I want to share them with you today. And they can be found in James chapter 1. I'm going to give you the first key first, and then we'll start looking at the scripture. The first key to repentance is to lay the sin down. James 1 verse 21, first part of 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and rampant wickedness. This has to do with acknowledging to God what you've done and committing to make whatever changes you need to make and to stick with the process for however long it's going to take. There are some bad habits and sinful activities that once I really started living for the Lord, I was able to drop them just like that. Just I wasn't connected to them like that or I, I wasn't involved in them very long. And so once I really started living for the Lord, I was able to just let those things go just really instantaneously. But then there are some things that I was involved in, some sinful activities that I was involved in, that I was, I was involved in very deeply. And those were not easy to give up. Those were hard to give up. And that's why Romans 12:2 says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that word transformed in the original Greek is the word metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis. And the same way that a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it doesn't happen just like that. But once that caterpillar goes through the process, that caterpillar can start off looking like one thing, but by the end of that process, it looks like something totally different. And that is the process that God wants us to go through as well, that you may start like one thing, but by the time you get through that process of renewing your mind to the word of God, you will look like something completely different. You will truly look like a new creation in Christ Jesus. One of the best compliments you could ever get as a believer, one of the best compliments you could get is when you start talking about your past and who you used to be before Jesus came into your life. And people look at you like, really? 
You used to act like that? You used to talk like that? You used to think like that? They can't believe it. Now, if you start talking about your past and how much of a sinner you used to be and people look at you like, yeah, I can see you doing that. (laughs) It just means you're still in the process. (laughs) Trying to stay encouraging. (laughs) And the process is not instantaneous. And the process can be messy. There's this one guy that is a young guy. They were only married for like a year. Uh, He was married for about a year, and they didn't have any kids yet. And he had a real issue with uh, looking at inappropriate things on the Internet, sexual things. And it was to the point, it was causing such division in their marriage that the wife was ready to leave him. The wife was ready to divorce him. Like I said, they would only been married for about a year. And this young man came to me. He initiated all this. He came to me asking me for help to overcome this as far as, you know, looking at what the Word of God says and praying together and giving them advice and, and practical tips and things like that. And so he had this thing set up. Again, he initiated this. I had no idea they, they even offered this at the time. But he had this thing set up that if he ever looked at something inappropriate on his phone, it would send a message to me letting him know what he was looking at. And for the first few months... I was getting messages, but as the months went on, I was getting less and less messages, and we continued to meet, and we continued to talk, and I noticed that the messages were getting less and less, and I could just see real growth happening in his life. That was years ago. To this day, they are still married. They have kids together, happily married, living their best life. But that all started with that young man making the decision that I don't want to be bound to this thing anymore. And he was willing to lay that sin down. And that's what we need to do as well. That's the first key. Second key to repentance is to receive the word of God. The second part The last part of verse 21 says, And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Jesus says this in Matthew 12. He says, uh, starting in verse 43, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through dry places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with itself seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. I was talking to another individual, and they were talking about, they were very young in the Lord, hadn't been living for the Lord very long. And they were talking about all the things that they were getting rid of, all the the things from their past life that they were getting rid of. And they were getting rid of this uh, thing that uh, was a sin to them, and they were getting rid of this and the next thing and another. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing. But my question is, okay, now... What you have is now a void in your life because you're getting rid of all these things that you feel is sin. The question is, what are you using or what are you doing to fill that void? Because if you don't fill that void, then you can end up like this house that Jesus talked about where now you're empty and now you become a prime target for sin to come back and enter back in. You know, a few months ago, I went back to my home state of West Virginia And, you know, always love seeing family and friends. 
And one of the things that I, I tried to do, and I did this time, was I went back to my old neighborhood where I lived for the first five or six years of my life. And if you've ever done this, you probably do a lot of the same things where you just had so many memories just come flooding back. And, and I ended up seeing the house where I lived for the first five or six years of my life. And I don't know about you, but whenever you see a, a place like that, a place where you used to live when you were a kid, there was this urge that rose up inside of me that wanted to go inside. And so I saw the house. I'm sitting here in front of the house, or I'm driving by the house, and I see it, and, and I'm slowing down, and this urge is like, man, I would love to just walk inside and just, just soak up the atmosphere, just look at, you know, yeah, that's where I used to watch TV, and yeah, that's where I used to play, and yeah, that's where me and my friends used to do this and that. But as I was looking at the house, I saw that there was a charcoal grill beside the front porch. I saw there was a car in the driveway. I saw there was somebody standing outside, probably wondering why there was somebody looking at his house. <laughs> so even though I moved out, I couldn't go back in because now it's occupied. And so it is with us that once we get refilled, it's hard for sin to move back in. So we need to refill ourselves. We need to fill ourselves with God's word, particularly the, the word of God that applies exactly to what you're going through. If you're dealing with fear or unforgiveness or loneliness, you feel like God has abandoned you, find scripture that applies to exactly what you're going through. This is how scripture becomes alive. This is how scripture is. This is how the word of God is not just some book that church people read. This is how it becomes living and breathing, and, it, and, it, 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 and it's something that is something that will help empower you and help encourage you and help you to grow in the things of God. So that's another thing is that we are, when we're able to receive, that will help you to receive the Word of God. And then the third thing, the third key to repentance is to do the Word. Once you receive the Word, then to do the Word. Scripture is not just to minister to us, but it's also to instruct us, it's also to correct us, and to equip us to minister to someone else. So at some point, we need to get out of the mode of only receiving the word, but also doing it. Verse 23, still in James 1, says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I used to think that receiving the word and doing the word, I always thought they were one and the same. I thought that if you receive the word in your heart, then automatically that's going to make you start doing it. And that's not always necessarily the case. Tequila, if you can bring me that, that box. Yeah, let's put it here, babe. So let's say I order a laptop from online and the delivery person brings it to my front doorstep. And I can talk about how fast the delivery service was for it to get to my house. I could talk about how good looking the delivery woman was who brought it to my house. I can talk about all the features that the laptop has, and I can talk about how it's going to make my life so much easier. But if I never open the box, the laptop will do me no good. 
it's not enough for me to just receive, but I have to actually put to use the thing that I have received. And so it is with the word of God, because I know that some people, they just receive the word so that they can recite the word. They study to know instead of studying to show. And so we need to not only receive the word of God, but actually put to use and do the word. That's when you will see the word of God have its maximum impact in your life, where you're not just, we're not just hearers of the word, but we're also doers of the word. And verse 25 says that the doer will be blessed in their doing. So that means if we do this word, repent, that there is a blessing attached to it, and the blessing is not just for you. You know, I've been transparent somewhat today. I'm going to be probably a little more transparent. But I've had addictions in my life, plural. And one of those addictions that I had, I allowed it to lead me into all kinds of mess as far as getting in altercations with people who genuinely cared about me. Borderline depression. One night almost ended my own life and ultimately being incarcerated in county jail. And when I was incarcerated, I, was, I knew that I needed to change. I just didn't know what else to do. I felt like I had tried everything else. And so when I got out, I was supposed to do six months. They let me out in 24 hours. To this day, I do not know why. I didn't stick around to ask questions. <laughs> got my stuff and got up out of there. So I'm walking to the bus stop, got my stuff in the bag. I'm walking to the bus stop, and this man drives up and pulls up beside me, asked me, did I need a ride? And I got in there with him. And Long story short, this man on the ride home, this man helped me to begin to have a closer relationship with the Lord. He, I recognized him because he worked at a convenience store near where I lived. What I didn't know until later was that he was actually a pastor. I believe he was starting a church, so he was working at the convenience store part-time, but he was actually a pastor. And he helped me to get started on my relationship with the Lord. But like I said, it was about a year. It was about a year of just doing okay and then messing up again and being involved in, like I said, just bad habits and, and doing the wrong things. And then one day, after about a year, I got to the point, I said, Jesus, I'm done living this way. I'm done of going back and forth with you and I'm giving all this stuff up. I'm giving this old stuff up. The way I used to live, I'm giving it up. And I'm turning to you. Jesus, I want to live for you the rest of my life. August 27, 1995. I repented that day. Fast forward to now. I have the opportunity to kill, and I've already gotten the process started where we're partnering up with a prison, a prison ministry team where we'll be going into the Lachua County Jail to help people to have a closer relationship with the Lord. Notice what I said. We're going to the county jail, the same place that God brought me out of. I thought my repentance was just for me, 
But God knew that my repentance wasn't just for me. Your repentance is not just for you. I thought it was just for me, but it was also to help somebody else who's going through the same situation that I was in. There are gifts all around this room. God has a gift on the inside of each and every one of you, whether you know it or not. The world is waiting for the blessing that's on the inside of you to be birthed. The world needs it. And they're waiting for it. And the world is searching, trying to find a substitute for the thing that God has put inside of you. In the same way today that we've talked about how revival comes through repentance, times of refreshing come through repentance, I'm here to tell you that the blessing on the inside of you is released when you repent. Can someone say, Jesus, I repent? Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.